Let's uh, open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read verses 35 all the way through chapter 10, verse 15. And uh, like Pastor Brian said, if you, if you need a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back right at the sound booth. You can grab you one. Uh, and you can, if you don't own a Bible, you can use that as a, have that as a gift from us. And we're in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. And then Matthew chapter 9. And I invite you to follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bags for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Well, it's no coincidence that this time of year we emphasize missions with our Lottie Moon mission offering and we highlight various missionaries. And it's no coincidence that we do that at the same time that we celebrate the birth and coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' first coming, think about his incarnation and his dwelling among us. We, we sing of him being our Emmanuel. Well, why did he come? Well, he came on a mission. He, he came to save his people from their sins. He came to bring hope 
of redemption to the world, to announce the the nearness of his kingdom. He came, as we've read in Ezekiel, and now even in our passages alluded to, he came as the good shepherd to gather his lost sheep who are far from God. Yet while Jesus' ministry and his mission uh, is marked by mission, he also commissions his disciples to continue in the work until he returns. And so as we remember the advent of Christ, as we remember his, his coming, both first and second, we also need to remember that he has enlisted us to make known the hope of his coming kingdom. He's enlisted us to, to, to be his followers and to carry out this mission of gathering his lost sheep until he returns. And this is exactly what we see in our passage this morning, don't we? We see in this summary verse, in verse 35 of chapter 9, that Jesus has been traveling. He's been traveling to all the cities, all the villages. And what has he been doing? Three things. He's been teaching, he's been preaching, and he's been healing. And he's proclaiming the kingdom. That's what he's been preaching. That's what he means when he's healing. He's proclaiming the kingdom and he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom. And though he has been doing this, and he's been the main character in our our story since we've been in Matthew for the last year, he's been the main figure that we've been seeing and and been watching him teach. We, 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 We went through the Sermon on the Mount, which was a sampling of this teaching and preaching. We've now just finished a litany of of miracles that he has performed. Well, now Jesus' next step, the next step in his mission, is to prepare his disciples to carry out the mission. These disciples are later going to be known as the 12 apostles, as, as Matthew let us know. And they are going to the be, be the beginning of Jesus spreading his work, of extending his hands through his people. The apostles, they have listened to his teaching and his preaching. The apostles have witnessed the abundance of miracles that he has done as he has, they have followed him from town to town to town. And now Jesus turns to them and he says, now go and do likewise. Everything that Jesus has done, teaching, preaching, and healing, we're going to see in this passage, he tells the apostles, now go and do. We see, in fact, in verse 1 of chapter 10, that Jesus gives them authority to do this work. He gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and authority to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, you and I, we aren't apostles. So he hasn't given us that authority to to perform, as Paul calls, the signs of the apostles. For instance, one of the things that Jesus did and he tells them to do in verse 8 is raise the dead. There's only two accounts of anybody raising the dead after Jesus. That's Peter and Paul. And we don't know of anybody else throughout history doing that. And so what I want you to see, there is a uniqueness to what the apostles can do. Yet, Jesus' instruction to them is instructive for us. Serves as a paradigm, an example for us to follow. See, the apostles are the foundation of the church. It's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he tells Peter, you're the rock. 
And we find out later that the apostles are the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. We sang of him as our cornerstone. And so the church is built. The people of God are are built upon Christ, the chief stone, but the apostles as, as the foundation around that cornerstone. And their work and their ministry also serves as the foundation for our work and our ministry. Though though it's not exactly the same, we carry out a similar task. And so in particular, we see here a paradigm this morning, a paradigm for mission work and where it looks very specific among unreached peoples, mission work for where Christ has not been named. This is very much like the work that we just saw in the video with the Kiefer's. They're going in from village to village, town to town, to preach Christ where he's not named. They're doing what Jesus tells the apostles to do. We're privileged to have the pages here this morning. I'm going to have them come up, not now, but at the end of the service. But that's what the pages are doing in Pittsburgh. They're not going from town to town. They're in Pittsburgh, but apartment to apartment, house to house, street corner to street corner to share the good news of Jesus. This is the paradigm, if you will, for new groundbreaking work. And so certainly Jesus' instruction applies to what we think of when we think of missions in general, the Kiefer's, the Pages, think of Liz. But it also applies to all gospel work in its beginning phases. That's what I want us to kind of have our mind around. Gospel work in its beginning phases. And once a work is established, thinking big, big picture, once Pastor Joshua, Lord willing, establishes a work, a church is, is planted, well, well, what happens then? Well, now that church is, is equipped and ready to send out new workers to go where Christ is not named to do the same thing. And then once that work's established, they do the same. That's what we're seeing. The apostles are that foundation. Jesus and the apostles are starting the, the first of all firsts. And setting up the work, the work that will then propel all work for the kingdom until Jesus comes. So that's what we're seeing in our passage this morning. And here's what's exciting. I know we're all probably still uh, suffering from food comas from our our, uh, Thanksgiving meals, but I want us to get a little bit excited. I got some amens and head nods already on that one. Um, Jesus says in verse 37, look, he says, this is the work But verse 37, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is abundant, he's saying. And the metaphor here is rich, if you'll just meditate for a minute. What is Jesus saying? Well, just for a moment, you think of a harvest. You think of of farmlands, of fields, of of produce, of, of crop. And the picture is, you haven't had to do any of the work. You haven't had to plant. You haven't had to till that farm. Here's the deal. All you need to do is gather your basket and go into that field, and you can pluck the fruit off. The harvest is abundant. It's ready to be reaped, Jesus says. So what is he saying here? Obviously, he's talking in metaphor. But he's likening the soul's the lost sheep of Israel, the souls of individuals, is like a harvest ready to be reaped. Like trees bursting with fruit, they're ready to receive Christ when they hear. When they hear the gospel and they taste and see the power of the kingdom. 
That's the good news. But Jesus moves from that that high point of excitement to a much sobering reality. Jesus also says in verse 37, however, the laborers, the gatherers, the workers, they're few. Do you see the contrast? The harvest is abundant. It's multiplying, but the, the laborers are few. There's much to be gathered, but there aren't many gatherers. And so this is my prayer for us this morning. As we're, we're thinking about Advent, as we're thinking about missions, not only uh, this Sunday, but we'll, we'll think about it next Sunday. And really, we're going to be talking about this until we finish chapter 10. All of chapter 10 is Jesus' instruction about his, for his disciples as they go on mission. And really what we should expect and what we should do. But this is my prayer for us this morning. This is what I've been praying, not only this week, but certainly intensified this week, is that some of you, some of you would be awakened to this work. Let me say that again. My prayer is that some of you would be awakened to this work. The work of missions. That some of you would behold, your eyes would be opened to the abundant and plentiful harvest that is all around. Not only here in Jeffersonville, our state, our nation, but around the globe. And that some of you would want to go on the mission field. That some of you would say, I I want to be a church planter. Or or some of you would say, "I, I want to pastor God's people. But not just that. That some of you would say, I want to go with that missionary. I want to go with that planter. I I want to help support that pastoral work. Or maybe it's, I'm going to join the Wednesday night visitation team. That's my prayer for us, that we would awaken, we would see what Jesus' instructions are for the church, and that some of you would go. See, we are an established work. Our, our church is, is coming up on 66 years old. Some workers went before us, and they helped establish this work and all the things that we benefit from, the worship, the community, the discipleship. But what's that last pillar? Mission. Everything is working towards that, as we even see in our text this morning. And so, Brothers and sisters, though this work has been established, the work is not done. We are now to take the mantle and send more laborers out into the harvest. And so to this end, I want to examine seven principles for effective mission work where Christ is yet to be named. Seven principles. We're going to look at these, obviously, um, briefly. Uh, Much could be said on each of these. I even thought to myself, we we could sit here for seven more weeks um, but I think this will serve our purposes this, this morning. And the first principle that I want you to see is that missions must be motivated by compassion. Mission is motivated by compassion. If you're, if you're saying, this isn't on my radar, well, it's probably because it hasn't been motivated by compassion. You haven't been moved by where Jesus has moved. Look again in verses 35 and 36. 
We see that Jesus, we're given a summary of his ministry. He's been teaching and preaching and healing. But, but notice what motivates his mission, what motivates his, his actions. It's in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why was he compassionate? Why did he show pity? Well, Matthew goes on to tell us because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Matthew's summarizing everything that we've seen. So if you haven't been with us over the last uh, several Sundays, what, what have we seen? We've seen exemplary cases of who Jesus has been teaching and who Jesus has been healing. And in these cases, who was it? It was, it was the sick. It was the blind. It was, it was the unclean lepers. It was the broken, the, the lame, those filled with shame, and even those who were dead. And in each of those cases, if you remember, or you think of those stories, and you can just go back and read chapters 8 and 9, each of those cases that Jesus was bringing the powers of the kingdom, the healing and the good news of the kingdom, they were to, the, to people that, that most of society had, passed, had cast aside. They were the unimportant. They were, they were the people that, that, that were not regarded with high esteem. Who would these people be today? Well, often, if you ever sat in the lobby of a, a government agency waiting to get a driver's license or, 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 or some sort of issue with your Social Security or some sort of uh, unemployment, you ever notice that that crowd seems to be the same crowd that you see when you go to the ER? Those are the people, the needy, the ones that most of society says are, 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 are not worth your time. Because why? They, they have nothing to offer you. They're there because they're needy. And yes, yes, in some cases, like the paralytic, it is their sin that has brought their trouble upon you, upon them. And yet, Jesus still shows compassion to them. He's pity. He pities them. Why? Because Jesus sees them as image bearers. He sees them as image bearers who are helpless. That doesn't mean they aren't guiltless, but they are helpless. He sees their troubles. He sees their heartaches, their addictions, the consequences of their sin. And he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They have gone their own way, and they do not know the truth. They, they, or, or they have been deceived, and they have rejected the truth. That doesn't harden his heart towards them. That, that softens his heart towards them. They're blinded, they're deceived, they're hurt, and he knows that he's their only hope. At the end of the gospel, when Israel, the lost house of Israel, by and large rejects him, even then, what does he say? Oh, how I would have gathered you. I've gathered you up like a hen gathers her chicks. But you would have none of it. And he's weeping over Jerusalem. 
Most of us say, got my hands washed off of that. They're not my problem. Serves your right. Make better decisions. And we come up with all these reasons to say, you're not worth my time. You're not worth my effort. And yet we see here that Jesus looks upon the world and all its trouble, and he has compassion upon the world. Brothers and sisters, if if we're going to be an effective church, if we're going to be a a church that, that the Lord would see fit to raise up workers, we must be a compassionate church. We must be a merciful church. We must be a church that sees those who are helpless and harassed and and, and sees us as we're really the only ones who can help. We're the only ones who have the good news. We're the only ones who have the antidote to the problem. Because as we heard in the testimony, the resources of this world only go so far. Only go so far. But what we have takes you into the kingdom. And so we need to have an otherworldly compassion. I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing here, right? An otherworldly compassion has come down to us. That's what we remember at Christmas. Who left his glory, who humbled himself by becoming a man. And not only that, but he humbled himself on the cross, even unto death. Why? So that he may win the lost, his enemies. That's the compassion that has come to us and that now Jesus calls us to show. That's why he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Receive mercy. This is the mercy that we are to exude because we have received it. And yet as Jesus tells his disciples the, the, uh, the task, and, and he, he, he tells them of, of the need, if you will, he also says there's few who are going to take up this task. There's few who are going to take up this mantle. And so the second key principle is that missions must be dependent upon prayer. And so Jesus makes the great need known, right? The harvest is plentiful, and, he, and he's looking. You can just imagine, he's looking at the crowds with his disciples. Look at the crowds. The harvest is plentiful. It's as if he says, but brothers, the laborers are few. Now, with that comment, you would think he would say, now let's go, right? Seems to be the thrust of, most, uh, of many things I hear. Hey, well, there's a great news. We just need to go. Let's go. Well, that's not what Jesus says. He says there's, there's, there's a response that goes first. He says pray. And not just pray. Look, look at what he says, verse 38. Therefore, pray what? Earnestly. You get the idea of begging, pleading, crying out, wailing. The times, the way you pray when you are sick and you think you're dying. Pray like that. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of that great crop. All that work. He's saying, the Lord has done. Now, pray to him. What are we praying? We're praying that he would send out laborers into his harvest. So we begin to pray. 
So if you're moved by compassion, maybe, maybe have you, you see the brokenness, maybe even at Thanksgiving, you saw some people that you don't always see, or you moved to compassion. And if you're moved to compassion, then you should be moved to prayer. And as a church, brothers and sisters, this is where I, we need to continue to grow. We need to learn how to pray. I don't think most of us know how to do that. And, and part of it's just that we don't pray what Jesus tells us to pray. He's now told us in his teaching two things. Pray the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, and now we have another prayer. Plead, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Do you, when you pray, do you pray those prayers? Or is it as James says of us, you, you, you ask and do not receive because you ask about yourself. That's all that we pray about. And so when we ask, are there any prayer requests, well, we think, well, I don't have anything going wrong in my life. So we're silent. But Jesus says there's an abundant harvest, so our prayers should not be exhausted. We should be always seeing need and praying and begging. Oh, what might it look like, brothers and sisters, if our community groups were prayer hubs? I know we pray, but do we? Or is it just the, the listing of our needs? Do we pray? Do we pray earnestly? Do we beg God to send out laborers out from among us? Is that what we're praying? Is that what we long for? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Is that ruling our prayers? Oh, how I long for our community groups to be hubs throughout the week, scattered around our city, pleading that the Lord would send out laborers from among us. That we would plead like that. What if we were pleading that the needs of our missionaries, we, we, we were just aware of them, and, and us as pastors can do a better job of, of helping you know that. But if you'll look in your bulletin, we do have lots of prayers there. And notice they're, they're usually about kingdom items. You can pray those things. But oh, what if we prayed for our, our missionaries and their needs? What if we knew the needs of our, our partners from Choices and, and ReCenter? Or, or we knew the needs of the ministries of this church? And, and I'm actually probably here in the next coming weeks just going to list them. Here's all the things that we could do but we can't because the laborers are few. And I hope that we might even add to them. What if we are praying for those things? What if we are praying where there's no work being done at all? Maybe the reason we don't see is because we don't pray. We don't ask. It's not on our radar. Why do I bring up community groups? Well, mainly because we don't have a midweek prayer service. And the way we're set up here at Oak Park, we'd have to basically clean the slate and change everything. But we don't want to just say, well, we don't pray. Well, where's that going to happen? That's, that's community groups. Go out on the, in the lobby, read what the purpose of community groups is. And what is it? It's where we devote ourselves to the practice of God's word in community with one another. 
Community groups are intended to be, what have we heard from the Word, and now we need to put it in practice. Well, what are we seeing this morning? What's the thing that Jesus has called us to do? Pray. Pray. And maybe that's what we do when we get back after the holidays. I know this is probably a bad time. We come back and we do what the Bible tells us to do. And we plead. And we beg. And we, we cry out, Lord, send out harvest or, or laborers into the harvest. When we begin to pray, we'll actually be engaging in the mission, brothers and sisters. Notice there's a, there's a progression here. You're moved to compassion. You see the great need. You, you're then moved into prayer, which is the first line of engagement. It's the first line of engagement. But we may find that when we begin to pray, that we will be called to something that we didn't even realize. That leads us to the third key principle. Missions must be empowered by Christ. After we see this instruction to pray, it's no accident that what do we see next? Jesus calling his disciples. Okay? He says pray, and then the next thing is Jesus called. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, and then people are are called to go into the harvest. And notice that he also empowers them to accomplish the missionary task which he's calling them to. He he gave them, verse 1, authority over unclean spirits and to heal every disease and illness. what, What does this remind us of? It reminds us that Jesus bestows spiritual gifts upon his church to accomplish the task. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, He has gifted you in some measure to carry out the task. In some measure. Which presupposes that we should be doing something at some measure. Each and every one of us where He has gifted. And so it might be possible, because I often hear, well, I'm just not gifted in that way. I don't feel called because I'm not gifted. Well, let me ask you, did you pray? Because the order that we see here is prayer, calling, gifting. But I think we look at it in reverse. I'm not gifted, therefore I'm not called, and therefore I don't pray. Do you see that? But what I'm asking you, and more importantly, what I think Jesus is laying before us is is to begin pleading and begging. And what he says is that there is a harvest already there, and the understanding here is there are already laborers on standby. They just haven't been called out. And the means by which God works through us is by prayer. And by that prayer, he calls out and he empowers. We also see that he, as he calls out, he assembles teams, he assembles groups. That's comforting. You'll have to do this alone. And part of that empowering is to do ministry together. And in this case, we see the 12, and actually they're, they're put in groups of two. Later uh, in Luke's gospel, we'll speak of the sending out of the, of the 70, and they, they go by two by two. And though we don't know much about each of these apostles, 
I mean, we, we know about some of the more famous ones. We think of Peter and Matthew. Think about John and James. What we do understand is that Jesus transformed each of their lives. They were doing something completely different. But then he calls them to their service, his service, and he transforms them and he gifts them to do what he needs them to do. For instance, let me just highlight two of these. We see Matthew, who is the tax collector, verse 3. So he was a tax collector. He's, he's, he's in with the, the Roman government, collecting money from his own people, lining his own pockets. He's got other interests, needless to say. But then you also see, verse 4, Simon the Zealot. Later, Zealots, that group, actually tried to lead an insurrection in Israel to overthrow the Roman government. So now you've kind of got rebel protesters, just think about that, who hate the current structures and systems, and that group, the zealots, were going to take matters in their own hands and usurp the government. You've got two guys on the opposite spectrum. That's what I want you to see. And they give up those causes. Oh, how I'd love us to give up those causes. Because he's got one that lasts. And now they're all transformed and equipped uniquely to fulfill the Great Commission. Some of us waste all our credibility bullets on worthless causes. He transforms. And this is what God does with his people. He turns our earthly ambitions, doesn't he? and he transforms them. That doesn't mean some of you are going to stay in the same job you're at, same vocation you're at, but now you're going to have a new lens on it. You're going to see it in new light, a new purpose, and how do you yield it and leverage it for the kingdom? But some of you, he's going to change your whole life. He's going to say, you're not doing that anymore. You're now going to go. But here's the thing, I think many of us don't know because we've never asked. We've not prayed. Of course, those who he calls, he empowers. But once he empowers, he expects us to be obedient, and that's our fourth principle. Look in verses 5 through 8. Here, Jesus begins to, to command the 12. He's called them, now he's giving them their instructions. And, and these are, are, are rather uh, specific. He tells them where not to go, where to go, and then what to do. And this may cause us to scratch our head a little bit. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Wait, 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 Jesus, I thought you wanted to save all people. What's he saying here? Why is he limiting it to the house of Israel? Well, there's a couple of things going on. First of all, what is happening here is Jesus is fulfilling prophetic expectation. Salvation is to the Jew first and then the Greek. By the time we get to the end of the gospel, as the story unfolds, what does he say? Go make disciples of all nations. Right now, it's just not the time. Right now, it's in Israel. So don't go there. That's all he's saying. Don't go to the pagan lands yet. They're not ready for that. So that's the first thing that we're seeing going on. Second, uh, this command's prior to the cross and resurrection. 
After the cross and resurrections, all things are complete. It's finished. And that's when we find that the gospel goes out. So we're post-cross and resurrection, therefore the gospel goes out, hence why we're here. We're not ethnic Israel. So that's what's going on there, so if you're getting hung up on there, don't. But what does apply to us as we understand its place in redemptive history is the task is the same. Proclaim and express compassion. That's what he's, that's what he's basically saying, right? Look, at, look in verse uh, 7. And proclaim, proclaim what? The kingdom. Saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the exact same thing John the Baptist preached. That's the same thing that Jesus preaches. And then verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Again, I've already kind of talked about we may not be able to do that to that extent, but that doesn't mean that we don't use the resources, gifts, and, 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 and abilities that God has given us to, to serve, to tangibly meet need, to show compassion. Have you ever wondered why is it that the church in history and, and, and think about our mission trips. There's actually up on the screen, I don't know if you saw, but there was women trying on glasses. One of the things that the Kiefer's do is they set up eyeglass clinics wherever they go. And they do exams and they help them measure up just basic reading glasses. Why? Well, we can't heal the blind, <laughs> but we can give you glasses. And we can show you compassion and give you sight that you haven't seen before, and we can tell you about the the king who can give you permanent sight. That's why churches have been in, involved in, in medical clinics all over the world. That's why the churches have been involved in benevolence and, and food services and in establishing orphanages and, and schools. They were, they were looking for needs in where, where there was a lack and, and, and people were suffering because they don't have those things. Do you see that? Now, here in the state, that's, it's been a little more complicated because the government has come and, and provided services and really just gobbled a lot of those things up, but not all of them. And as I, I would say, and I'm not going to get into this, it's not going as well, and, and there's going to be new opportunity for us to, to do what they cannot do. But it shouldn't be an excuse for us, well, there's means for them to go get these needs met. We don't have to do anything. Rather, we, we should still be seeking to meet the needs of those whom God puts around us, opportunities that come to our, our knowledge here at Oak Park. Why? So that we might have credibility. Not just that, but that we're showing real tangible, tangible compassion, but it also gives us credibility that the Jesus that we speak of truly is loving and kind and merciful and is a Savior that they want to, to know. We want them to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is my prayer for us that as we would begin to pray for these things that some of you would see needs that none of us see. That there would be opportunities of things that could be done in our city and around the globe and that you begin to pray for that need and that the Lord may use that prayer to not maybe call you, but maybe that's the means by which he calls somebody else in this church. Lord uses means. And that we begin 
meeting needs so that we may have a more impactful ministry toward the gospel. Well, let's move along. Fifthly, fifthly, as we have received the message and experienced the goodness of the kingdom free of charge, verse 8, so missions must be freed from greed. See that at the end of verse 8? You received without paying, meaning I healed you, I brought the gospel to you without charge. You go do likewise. You give without pay. This is a principle that was instilled in me very early on in my my ministry, never put a price on your ministry. Don't say, hey, if I'm paid, then I'll do. No, you do, and you let the Lord provide. To do it the other way around is actually a sign of false teachers. You know them. If you give yada, 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 then you'll receive the blessing of God. That's not how Jesus says it. He actually says the exact opposite. And so he sends out the 12, go out and heal everybody. So if you really had that power, why don't you go to the hospital and heal everybody? Do it free of charge and do it abundantly. I think you know the answer. And so Jesus goes on and he tells them, verse 9, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. He's, think of those money belts. We don't wear these anymore, but those big chain belts, you know. They had something like that, more like a little purse, but, you know. That's what came to my mind. He says, no bag for your journey. Don't bring two tunics, that's your robe, or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. He kind of comes in and balances the, the statement there. And so there's, there's kind of two ideas that are, that are going on. First, missions isn't to be extravagant. It's actually freeing. You don't need much. You don't need much to go door to door. You don't need much just to sit down and, and talk. Actually, it's rather freeing. Missions isn't to be extravagant, but modest. In this case, the apostles were to go out with just the clothes on their backs. That's kind of the idea. Don't take two tunics. You only need the one. Imagine they already had sandals, so don't pack, pack your bags with another one. It says, take what you have. And, and Jesus is obviously giving them specific instructions so that they can learn a lesson that the Lord will provide. That doesn't mean when we go out, only... Take one shirt and everything else will be added. But there is a principle here that missions isn't to be extravagant because it actually will betray the message that we preach that it's for the poor in spirit. That it's for the needy. It's for those who know they're broken, that knows they have nothing. Second idea that's going on is, is that they're not to be interested in making a profit. And probably both ideas. Don't go and pack your bags because you know you're not going to have anything. But neither have your sights set on that I'm going to do this and I'm going to acquire. But rather, they're just to be content with what is needful for them. Paul will later explain to the Corinthians that the one who preaches the gospel makes his living off the gospel. He'll tell, he'll tell the same and apply it in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, speaking of, of pastors who, who labor at teaching and preaching. That's, that's the grounds by which you support your ministers. Not so that they can line their pockets and become millionaires. No, it's just so they can live a normal life and be freed up to preach the gospel. That's, that's the principle that's there. And he actually quotes this 
passage. That's what he means when he says the laborer deserves his food. One of the reasons the workers are few, brothers and sisters, is because of this issue. I won't get paid. What's in it for me? That that mindset. How am I going to have? I'm going to have to give up all this. And so they limit their service based on what they can get. It's a condition. But if you've been truly called and truly equipped, what we learn here is that that to the extent that the Lord is going to use you and wants to use you for whatever purposes it may be, he will supply your need to fulfill that. That might be that he supplied you with a job, like Paul, that you could be a tent maker and that you don't have to burden. But you could be also like Peter who, who received a paycheck. But neither of those things kept them. They didn't go into it with the money first. They went to that. That was second. And you see the principle here. That actually you're going to reap the benefits from those of the harvest as they respond in gratitude and they want you to continue this work and, and we support That's why we're doing Lottie Moon. That's, that's what we're doing, right? That's God's means. We're doing that so the Kiefer's, Liz, Joshua, they can go do the work and be freed up. But I'm sure if you go talk to them, they're not not living the, the good life either. <laughs> but we, are, we receive that blessing and we, we fill it up and we give so the work may go on. Sixthly, our focus and our trust is to be in the right place so Jesus prepares us for fruit. You can see that. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So, so he anticipates you're going to, Find people worthy. What does he mean by that? Worthy of the kingdom. How do you show if you're worthy for the kingdom? You receive the message of the kingdom. He says there that the, the, the people who listen to your words, verse 14, who receive you. This is pretty profound. When you and I come with the message of Christ, the message of the apostles, We're going as his representatives, and when they reject our word so much that it is the word of God, and they reject us for us being in the name of Christ, they actually reject Christ. But on the flip side, he says, there's going to be some who receive you, and they're going to listen to you, and they're actually going to be listening to Christ. And so he says, expect that. But on the flip side, be prepared Number seven, for rejection. Some houses you're going to enter in, some some from places you're going to greet. It seems like it's all good, and then you say, peace be to you. And that's the peace of the kingdom, the peace of the new covenant. You're, You're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And once you speak of that message, you find that they reject you. And they will despise you, and they will send you out. And Jesus tells you that this is going to happen. You need to be prepared for both sides of it. And not only that, but in such cases, he says, warn them of the judgment to come. Withdraw that peace from them. You've come in saying, we come bearing the peace of God upon you in this house. We don't want it. Well, then you have just brought judgment upon your house. That's that's what he's saying. And he gives some some illustrations of how they would do that, they would communicate that in that time. 
shake off the dust of your feet. This is what actually Jews would often do when they would go through Samaria or Gentile lands. They wanted to get the uncleanliness off of them. And it was symbolic of, I'm, I'm, I'm removing. Well, what Jesus has done, he's flipped the tables. And he says, actually, you're just like the pagans if you reject this message. And he says, furthermore, you have rejected the great revelation that all those prior had not been privy to have. He, and he goes to the, the most premier example of godlessness that everyone have known, and that's Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, for those who reject the gospel, who reject Jesus, it will be worse for them than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah. Pretty powerful. This is the task that Jesus has given to us to go make disciples. And certainly we could dive deeper in these principles, but time is, is passing us by. What I want to do right now is have the pages come up and just pray for them. Come on up. You can make your way around. Some of you may, most, most of you know the pages, but some of you are new and you don't know the pages. Joshua was our uh, pastor of students and children Sweet wife Angela, Joshua, been here nearly seven years and didn't come as a seminary student, didn't come thinking you were going to be a church planter or pastor or anything like that. You, you just came, the Lord is working in you, you wanted to be fed, and you wanted to serve. And I bet as we were pre I was preaching through that, you were thinking, yep, I began to pray. Compassion came over me, I prayed, the Lord called, and I was equipped, and now we've sent him out. I pray that we have more pages in our church. Maybe it's not to Pittsburgh. Maybe it's to one of the counties here in southern Indiana, or maybe it's the ends of the globe. But let us pray now that the Lord may send out more laborers. And as we do so, let's pray for the pages, and then we'll sing and we'll close. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Joshua and Angela. I thank you for their testimony. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their trust in you, uh, Lord, knowing him and having many conversations um, about needs being met and what may happen when he leaves and goes. But Lord, I know that you have provided and you have done so not just minimally, you have done so abundantly and showed yourself as the, the one who not only calls but equips and so, Lord, we're asking it as this work in Pittsburgh continues, as they're just now getting their feet on the ground, and, and Joshua is meeting people at the coffee shops and at the, at the, at the playground, as he's, he's meeting people in their neighborhood, as they're hosting now community group. Lord, I pray there will be those worthy of the gospel who will receive the pages, who will listen to their words because the words they bring them are the words of Christ and the goodness of the kingdom. And I pray with all the resources that you're accumulating through NAM and, and some of the other churches that have gone before, Lord, that they can tangibly meet needs and that people would see and taste and savor and see that the Lord is good and that your work would multiply and that this church would be established and in years to come we would hear that they're now sending out more laborers into the harvest together more. Lord, we thank you for this family and 
And Lord, we thank you for the abundant grace that you have given us free of charge. When we did not deserve it, may we go out with the same mindset, preaching the good news this season of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. If you would, let's stand and let's sing, O Church Arise. Good boy.
God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may go.